Welcome to Retirement Straight Talk with Paul and William, featuring award-winning financial advisor and former host of the Sunday Money Show, News Talk 1010, Paul Baraka and his associate advisor, William Baraka. Creating and keeping wealth does not need to be complicated. Paul and William will cut through confusing and contradictory financial advice to give you the real facts to help you invest better and enjoy a worry-free retirement. The views and opinions expressed in this video may not necessarily reflect those of IPC Securities Corporation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is episode number 45 now of Retirement Straight Talk with Paul and William. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, William. And yourself? I'm doing awesome, too, because we're going to talk today about one of my favorite topics, which is, well, the topic is why we're hardwired as humans to be terrible investors. Yeah. And we're going to get into today a number of human biases that are inherent in all of us. We're all guilty of every one of these, some to different degrees than others. But we're going to mm-hmm. review why we're inherently bad at investing and what we can do about it. Paul, a couple of years ago, Dalbar, the organization, did a study which showed that over the last 20 years, the market, which they use the S&P 500 index, has, the, has their index, returned an average of 8.25% per year. Now, the average investor, according to Dalbar, has earned just over 4% due to poor investment behavior. Paul, I think you have a couple of examples of a real-life situation where that's played out. Well, that's it. And Dalbar does these analysis every single year. And every single year, the results are exactly the same the average investor earns less than what they invest in. Now think about that for a minute. And here, yeah, you're right, let's do, I have a real life example here, and it's fairly recent. And again, I'm gonna talk about the ARK Innovation Fund, which is an ETF out of the US. And by the way, I'm gonna be clear up front. I'm not referring all to the quality of this fund or suggesting how it will perform in the future. It may do very well, it may do very lousy, I don't know. But this is a real, life example. Now, it's a highly aggressive product concentrated in technology names. So let's, I'm going to see if I can, if I can actually work on, let me see if I can share my screen here so we can do this properly. All right. So this looks at the average return from this investment, which is ARK Innovation Fund. And you can see here, started out and it compares the assets that were brought in by the fund and the annual return. So the the assets of the fund are on the left side, the total return on the right. So you see 2015, 3.8% brought in $7.3 million. No big deal. 2016, similar. 2017, assets build a little bit, but still not much. Funded pretty well. And let's go to the major part. If you look here, 2020, the fund earned 152% in one calendar, the best performing uh, ETF fund that entire year. Look what happened the next year. The year after it did really well, it brought in $21 billion of assets, again, after it earned all its returns. 
And, and the following year, in 2021, when it brought in all the money, guess what? It lost 23%. The following year, it brings in another, 2022, it brings in another $9 billion. It lost 67%. What we're saying is virtually all the people, I don't have the exact number, in this fund lost money, and they lost big time. Let's just go take another quick look here. But this is just a quick chart here that shows how virtually every single year, the average return by investors has been less than the return, uh, has been significantly less than the return on the fund. In other words, no one made any money on this thing. Almost everyone lost money. It's a classic example of people buying what's hot. It's, it's made a pile of money this year. I don't want to miss out on this. Let's get going on this. Let's have some fun and let's earn some money. And the exact opposite happened. So how does this happen? And things like this happen all the time, Paul. And it's because it's in large part due to our biology. Our brains have been hijacked by our biology. Yeah. And focusing on these biases that have been formed through our biology, it's much more impactful than trying to time the market or pick the next great stock. Trying to hone in your investment, investment behavior a lot more impactful. If you think about it, Paul, human evolution started about four to seven million years ago. So humans in their history, they spent about 99% of their time of their evolutionary history in the hunter-gatherer environment. So many yes. of our natural tendencies today, they're still with us today, but they were formed and shaped by what was good for our ancestors when they were hunter-gatherers. So what was good for us back then is not necessarily good for us now and is usually not good for us making sound investment decisions. So today we're, we're no. going to move on and outline the some of the specific biases which have caused our brains to make poor investment decisions. We're going to dive into them deeply so you can be better aware of them. We're going to talk a little bit about how both the media and the investment industry preys upon these biases. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so there's probably hundreds of these biases, Paul and everyone. We're not going to be able to get to all of them today, but let, let's try and dive in now and get to a few of them. And by the way, I want to make a note ahead of time. In my opinion, what we're talking about today, these biases that in many respects, we are not aware of as human beings, they have a bigger impact on our future financial success than anything else. More success on how much information you have, more success on, on anything. So that's why this is important here. So why don't, we, why don't we go in, start. William, you got the first one here. Let's get going. Well, the first one, everyone, is that as humans, we have an inherent need for certainty because it just makes people feel better. I think, you know, inherently having uncertainty in your future doesn't produce the best feeling. So as humans, we're naturally inclined to want certainty, to think you can predict the future, even though, even though unfortunately no one has a crystal ball, no one can really predict the future. I think everyone deep down knows that, but their need for certainty outweighs that. And how this leads people to make bad investment decisions is that they don't accept how uncertain the world is. Um, some of the biggest and most consequential changes in history have happened because of completely random and unforeseeable um, events. 
think about, I mean, Morgan Housel, the great blogger, just wrote a new book. And in his book, he wrote about stories that were all surprises, whether they were COVID a few years ago, Pearl Harbor, the Great Depression. These were all greatly impactful events that changed the world forever. And no one saw them coming. No one really saw COVID coming. No one predicted the Great Depression. All huge events that were great surprises. After 2008, the Great Depression of 2008, how many people afterward said, oh, it was obvious what was going to happen? Really? If it was so obvious, how come no one got it? All the pension fund managers, the investment managers, the politicians, none of them got it. But rearview mirroring, oh, yeah, it was obvious. And it's always the same. Look in the past, Morgan Housel brought up um, the Economist, the magazine, greatly reputable magazine. It's the, every year they do they do an edition in January, looking at the year ahead. The January 2020 edition did not mention COVID at all. The January 2022 edition did not mention Russia invading Ukraine. No mention of that at all. So again, like you just said, Paul, in the rearview mirror, a lot of people kind of take that real easy. Yeah, it's real easy to look back and say, oh, I, I could have seen that coming because of this and this and this. But again, a lot of what happens in the world is completely random and unpredictable. And so you're best off not listening to that person who thinks they know or pretends to know what's going to happen in the next year. Useless information, forecasts don't mean anything. Way more important things you can focus on for your financial success. I wrote a blog uh, oh, a couple of years ago on a book called Why Expert Predictions Fail and Why We Believe Them Anyway. And the reason, William, is exactly because what you mentioned, people want certainty. And this book went through all sorts of predictions now that we look back that are absolutely insane. In early 2008, 54 economists went to the White House and confidently predicted 2008 would be a good year. Well, 2008, everything hit the fan. It was the worst year since the Depression. Anyway, it, it goes on exactly to what you say. Well, people want certainly yeah. certainty, so funny, they try to believe. Funny you mention economists. I'm just going to read off a Peter Lynch quote, and then, then we can move on to the next bias. And yeah, Peter yeah. Lynch is one of the most successful investors of all time. And he once said that there are 60,000 economists in the U.S., they're trying to forecast recessions and interest rates. If they could do that successfully twice in a row, they'd all be millionaires by now. And he said, as far as I know, most of them are still gainfully employed, which ought to tell us something. Yes, so, I think Buffett talks about the same thing. Yeah. Probably. So, okay. So the next one moving on is our inclination to listen to bad news over good news. And basically it boils down to bad news sells. Let's say there's two headlines. The first lead headline is market plunges to new lows. The second headline would be everything's normal today. Story below. Every, which one are you going to read? Hands down virtually every single time. Oh, I felt guilty to that. A few months ago, it was after, I think after one of Apple's earning calls, and there was this uh, big headline, I think, in the Globe and Mail, and it said, Apple plummets after earnings call. And I read the headline, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it must, the stock must be down 10, 20% or something like that. 
And so I go on my stock app and look what's going on with Apple. And it's down, I think it was down 1% uh, when I looked at that day. So not, I wouldn't call that plummeting. But like you said, the media frames things in a way to make you want to read it. And the reason we're hardwired to pay more attention to bad news than good news is that it's just harm avoidance. Our brain is equipped to register pain more sensitively than any other emotion. And again, going back to our ancestors when we were hunter-gatherers, this is supposed to steer us away from trouble. Back in the day, our ancestors, they always had to be on the lookout for predators or even other human beings because there was a pretty high chance that you would be killed. There was a very high chance for that at one point. Even though that's not the case anymore, we still live with this. And it's been shown actually in studies that humans are hardwired to pay 10 times more attention to negative news than positive news. The old story is when we were hunter-gatherers, you're out in the forest looking for something to eat and the bush ruffles. Well, back then, that could be a tiger ready to eat you. So you skedaddle really, really quick. It may not be that tiger. And that's hardwired. There's a famous psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, who wrote a book, Thinking Fast and Slow. And he talks about this, where we have stage one and stage two thinking. Stage one is what we're talking about, our immediate reaction to anything, to a statement. And stage two takes a little bit later. It's the thought process. It's the thinking, is that really true? Let me think about this and formulate an answer rather than just reacting quickly. So that's, you're right. That's exactly what we do. And of course, that's like all the perma bears, the people who predict what, uh, that bad things are going to happen continuously. You've spoken about him on the show before, Paul, and I, I, I'm going to butcher his name. I'm sorry, but Robert Kiyosaki, sorry if, I, if I'm getting that incorrect. He's known as the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, best-selling author, huge following. He's got over a million followers on, on Twitter. But he is, like you said, a perma bear. He is always predicting supposedly the next stock market crash. Even though he never gets it right, it doesn't stop him from making new predictions that say the exact same thing. He says silly things like in the summer of 2022, he said he wrote on Twitter the best investment people should buy at that time was cans of tuna because essentially all investments. That would have worked out really well. Yeah, said all investments are going to be worthless and at least tuna you can eat or whatever his exact reasoning is. But there's loads of people out him like there that prey upon the fact that we pay more attention to bad news. They they get the clicks. That's how they make money. So just be aware that bad news sells better than good news. Absolutely. Okay, let's go on to the next one here. Number three in the reasons, the biases of why we're hardwired to make bad decisions. What's the next one, Will? So it's just a basic inability to think long-term. And Howard Marks, he's, again, one of the most successful investors of our time. He once talked about an investor whose annual results never ranked in the top quartile. But over a 14-year period, he was in the top 4% of all investors. And I think I thought that was really poignant because so many of the people we speak to, so many of the conversation we, we have, they're focused upon what happened last year, how can I make the most money this Bingo. year or next year? Bingo. Whereas that that's not the right conversation to have. The right conversation isn't what's the best return I can make this year. 
It's what's the best return I can sustain over long-term time periods. Because if you realize the magic of compound interest, that's what can make a huge difference long-term rather than trying to make the best return this year. I think, well, also volatility has a huge, huge factor in that. People misunderstand volatility with risk. For example, I did a blog several years ago on this where I took two investments, hypothetically, both are in the same rate of return. Exact same rate of return, same amount of money, same time frame. And it was hypothetical. One was more volatile than the other. Again, over a 10-year period, guess what? They had the same rate of return, but the one that was less volatile had more money in it. Hey, isn't that the point of this? So again, probably if you're focusing on last year's big performer and you buy into that, you're pretty darn good chance. You're not going to do well, not only in the short term, but probably not in the long term also. What's next, Will? Well, before we move on, I just want to add, this is all, again, inherent to our human biases that we've developed from our ancestors, and we're hardwired to want shortcuts. Getting rich through investing, it's pretty easy. It just takes some time. And this doesn't just apply to investing, by the way. It applies to all facets of life. Dieting is another big one. Living a healthy lifestyle, it's pretty simple, but it takes time. You just need to eat healthy and exercise. Yet people fall for all these diet fads, pills, all this stuff because they want the shortcuts. They don't want to. They don't want to take the time to do stuff that take that actually works over long term. Yeah, I think the terminology will is it's simple, not necessarily easy. Pretty easy to lose weight. Just eat less. Yep. Pretty simple, not necessarily easy. The same thing with investing here. So the next bias that causes us to make uh, poor investment decisions, Paul, is our susceptibility to stories. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, oh, I'm glad you're excited about this hey, one. I've been susceptible to. We all have. We all are. So the best story wins, not the best idea or the right idea. Bingo. And we're susceptible Bingo. to people, particularly who are good speakers. And again, this isn't just related relatable to investing. It's in all facets of life. Think about politics. Think about how many of the politicians who get elected, they actually aren't good policymakers. They're just really good campaigners. They're good at connecting with people on the campaign trail. They're good at making speeches. They're good at distilling simple information. But once they get to office, they don't really accomplish much. In investing, um, I mean, you brought up the ARK uh, ETF at the beginning. That's run by Kathy Wood. And I think a big part of the reason why they've been able to pull in the assets they have into their into that ETF, Paul, is that she's really good at telling stories. Say what you want about her, but she's a good speaker and she can spin a good narrative. Just yeah, yeah, I certainly agree with that. A couple of weeks ago, I mean, this is something that if you drill down to it, it seems crazy, but if you're listening to her speaking, you can. It, I can see why it would be easy to be swayed by it. A couple of weeks ago in an interview, Paul, she said that she thought Bitcoin could reach a price of a million five hundred thousand dollars by the year uh, 2030. And to give people a point of reference, I believe it's around 40,000 right now, somewhere around there, Bitcoin. And her base case, so this was apparently her bear case, if if everything didn't go well, was $682,000 for Bitcoin. 
up from 40,000 it is now. Again, drill down, you might find some problems in that in that logic, but if you're just listening to it, you can be susceptible by the great narrative she spins. By the way, early, early in my, just a, my own story, early in my career, again, I was swayed much, I still am, but much more than when you're young in your career, you think you know everything. We'll talk about that later too. Thought I knew everything, didn't, got engaged in stories on things like managed futures and emerging markets that didn't turn out that well. And again, the investment firms prey on this. The investment firms, whether it's ETFs or mutual funds, they tell a good story. They say, oh, look at all these five-star funds we have, but what they don't tell you, Dow Jones did a study on active fund returns from 1992 to 2022, 30 years. Guess what? 59% did not survive. In other words, they were either merged with another fund or they disappeared because they did lousy. And of course, the fund companies, what they tend to do is they advertise and promote what's hot today, not what's necessarily going to do best for you in the long run. What's really selling today what is the ARC investment of the day that's doing fantastically? Probably not the best place to go. Let's move on to the next one here, Will. Yeah, the next one is overconfidence. And there's a word for it called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is that unearned knowledge can turn into reckless confidence. And an easy way to describe it is, say, you read an article on the internet about whatever topic, it can be investing, a, a political issue, a, a healthcare issue, whatever it is. And just by reading that article and getting a little bit of knowledge on the internet, suddenly it can start to seem really easy. And you start to take oh, yeah. risks that you probably don't realize you're taking because you don't, just by reading that one article, you don't fully understand all the risk involved. You don't fully understand the issues. So you start to take risks that you don't know you're taking. And I have a story about this early in my career, prior to me being in the investment business, long ago, I was in the property management business, out of school, took property management, thought I knew everything. I, well, I'm the smartest guy on earth. I went to, I was managing a, an office building that had an operator there, a guy that's been there for 30 years. This guy was an old guy. He knew every nut and bolt in that building. And I remember listening to him and thinking, what does he know? I'm smarter. I've been to school. Later on, I, I was embarrassed at how foolish I was to realize this guy was a wealth of knowledge. And I just quickly put up an illustration that can show this. Now, my, hold on. Let's see if I can do it this time. Share screen. Yes, here we go. Share screen. I think that even worked. Did this come up, William? Yes, I can see it. Dunning-Kruger effect. What, as you can see, there are two axes. One is having, on the left side, confidence, either low confidence or high confidence. And the bottom, it's competence, actually knowing it's from low to high. And what you see is people often, they, you know, after a short period of time, read an article, maybe take a little, you know, spend some time reading the paper, and they think, I'm pretty good at this. I have very high level of confidence. I know everything. But actual, in reality, you have a low level of competence. And as you go on, as the years go on, you people tend to realize, geez, there's more than this that I thought. I really don't know that much. It's only after years and years you realize, you know what? I really don't know what's going on here. I'm just starting to figure this out. That's the Dunning-Kruger effect. And we all 
all, uh, we are all susceptible to this. You see it all the time in newspapers, journalists writing about things that maybe they just have surface knowledge of, but they make it sound like they have long knowledge of. So that, that's something we're all susceptible for. And by the way, one of the things that I hear, and this always puts my antenna up, people say, oh, I know all about investing. I watch BNN. I know all about investing. I have a business degree and I can't say anything, but that probably makes you a worse investor than if you had no knowledge at all. Well, this plays out all the time in investing, Paul. And an example is in uh, day trading and stock picking, even though oh, ample yeah. evidence shows that um, most short-term traders lose money and the majority of stock pickers are unable to beat an index fund. This does not stop people from trying because everyone thinks they're smarter than everyone else and they are the exception to the rule. And by the way, overconfidence can snowball on itself. For example, yeah, if, you're, if yeah. you're picking stocks and you pick one good one, then your confidence rises. One successful investment leads people to believe they can keep doing it and compels them it's to easy. take greater and greater risks. It's, it's easy. easy. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of a sad story, but this happened a lot during the pandemic when there was a really hot stock market and everyone was picking stocks. And since most stocks were going up, everyone thought they were geniuses. And the Wall Street Journal did a profile on a individual named Omar uh, G.S. Gias, sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. But in any case, he was an amateur trader who amassed about a million and a half dollar portfolio during the early part wow. of the pandemic. And he did it just through trading stocks, trading options. Uh, he was using leverage, which meant he was borrowing money from his brokerage firm. And again, it all seemed so easy to him. So he dropped out of school so he could trade full time. He started a TikTok account and started showing off all his trades on TikTok. And then the stock market started going down and things unraveled for him. And his $1.5 million now is gone. He's got about $15,000 of credit card debt, $36,000 in auto loans, and um, just short of $7 in his checking account. And now he's, he's working in a deli in Las Vegas somewhere. And I'm uh, sure he makes a good sandwich. <laughs> well... Uh, I'll end it off with this. He said, because it greatly encapsulates the overconfidence bias a lot of us are guilty of. He says, I felt like I was indestructible. Now, when he looks back, he says he realizes it was irrational. So, a couple of great quotes here. Can I just go to these quotes here? Yeah. The first one is Mark Twain. And these are so true. He says, it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled. Same kind of similar thing, Richard Feynman, I may be pronouncing that wrong, very famous engineer. The first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. Those are both so, so true. Good, so Paul, I think, again, there's loads more of these biases. We could spend all day talking about this, but now is, I think is a good place to wrap it up. So let's just quickly, uh, going back again, we talked today about biases that every single human being has to greater or lesser extent that greatly affect our decision making. And the mo and I, in my opinion, they have the biggest impact on making bad decisions more than anything else. And to me, the secret, we can never overcome these, but we can maybe modify their impact by just having a little bit of knowledge about them. So that's what we try to do today. 
And just a quick thing, how to maybe help yourself avoid these is to always ask yourself when you think something is true, ask yourself, what makes me feel this is true? And then when you come with an answer, ask yourself the same question, what makes me feel that's true? And if you go through this process several times, you can often dig down to the root of things. So next podcast, hey, we're going into everyone's favorite time of year, which is tax season. We're going to talk about how you probably are paying too much tax, the concept of forward tax planning, tax preparation versus tax planning. That's all on the next uh, Retirement Straight Talk with Paul and William. So I want to thank everyone for joining us, whether you're watching us or listening to us. Hey, if you think this information is valuable, hey, like what we have to say, like us, follow us, and by all means, pass along the links to the, our podcast to other people who may also feel this is valuable. So until next time again, thanks for joining us. We'll see everyone in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everyone. This podcast was brought to you by West End Wealth Planning, an award-winning wealth planning practice catering to small and medium-sized business owners and to those looking to create a worry-free retirement for themselves and their families. To learn more, go to westendwealth.com. Don't forget to rate this podcast and subscribe to Retirement Straight Talk with Paul and William by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.